wish to speak to you in the caption, the autopsy report. Pray with me. Loving Father, may grace and conviction roll down like a mighty stream in this place today, in Jesus' name. The autopsy report. The morning was clear and pleasant, but about eight o'clock there was observed an uncommon appearance in the sun. There were no cloud, but the air was thick, having a smoky appearance, and the sun shone with a pale yellowish hue, but kept growing darker and darker until it was hid from sight. There was midnight darkness at noonday. The occurrence brought intense alarm and distressed multitudes of minds as well as dismay to the creation. The fowls fleeing bewildered to their roosts and the birds to their nests and the cattle returning to their stalls. Frogs and night hawks began their notes. Farmers were forced to leave their work in the fields, and business was generally suspended, and candles were lit in the dwellings. The 19th of May, 1780, was considered as the dark day in history which was considered as the fulfillment of Mark 13:24 the sun shall not give her light there was also another another dark day in history though it was not considered to be the fulfillment of any particular bible prophecy however it stood as a dark day for many. It was a relatively fair day until 3.30 p.m. The gentle breeze and the breathtaking scenery were the backdrop for a heart-rending drama. Life-saving resuscitation measures were unsuccessful. At 3.30 p.m. on February 11, 2012, Whitney Houston was pronounced dead in the Beverly Hills Hotel room. And the world relived to some degree, to a great degree, 1780. The thick darkness of grief and pain covered the length and breath of the earth. Witness fans who were scattered across the length and breadth of this globe were covered in the darkness of absolute pain and tears. Witness autopsy report compound the grief of her suffering fans. Richard Shepard, forensic pathologist, says, 
an autopsy will give the whole story of a person's life and events leading up to death. Whitney's autopsy report revealed that she was smoking marijuana days before her death. Cocaine and other harmful drugs were found in her system. She also had a bad heart which was indicative or perhaps was indicative of her unhealthy lifestyle. We wouldn't have known the contributing factors to her death had it not been for the autopsy report. Our text for our sermonic times today gives the autopsy report for the death of the church in Sardis. The day of the gospel proclamation was bright as the noonday sun. The message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection spread like wildfire across the then known world. Thus, seven churches were planted in Asia Minor. Providence has a church nestled in the once booming metropolis of Sardis. The aged, gray-headed, and beloved Apostle John, though was incarcerated on the island of Patmos as a field slave, the vision of an exalted Christ liberated his, heart, his soul in heavenly places. His feet and his aged body were tired, but his soul was resting. After the reassuring words found in Revelation 1.18 Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Then came the directive. The directive was to write these things to the seven churches that were scattered across West Asia Minor. In words of forensic science, Jesus, the great pathologist, gave John the autopsy report for the church of Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Reading from the NIV. The KJV says, that thou hath a name that thou livest. The NIV and the NIV and the L NLT say you have a reputation of being alive. This church had a reputation. It is the same as Barita having uh, the reputation for investment, Scotia Bank as being organized and wheels and wheels for selling some Adventist pastors their cars. The, the, the church has a reputation of being alive. 
most people in Sardis respected the church. The church had entertaining programs, starring AYs, vibrant vespers, and not to mention informative seminars. The church was able to take care of his finances because the members were faithful with a capital F. By the look of things, Sardis SDA was doing very well. The church was filled with external works and activities. Does it sound familiar? The Welfare and Community Services Department were doing well. They would feed the indigent, indigent and less fortunate. Which pastor would not want to pastor this thriving church? And which member would not want to be transferred his or her membership to this church? They were known far and wide for their great work. But like the music in a horror movie which tells something bad is going to happen. Like a dawn, downpour of rain on a romantic picnic are the words you have a reputation of being vibrant and doing well but you are dead. Two miles out of Sardis was a hot spring where many believed that the gods manifested their life-giving powers. Yet the church with the true and living God was dead. How could a vibrant church as Sardis be called a dead church? If it were anybody else making this a pronouncement, I would not believe. I would think jealousy is the motive to say such a hard thing to this church. Had it not been for Jesus walking in the middle of the churches and gaining intimate relationship, had it not been for Jesus, I would not have believed. After... The diagnosis came, the shocking pronouncement. Jesus said the church is D-E-A-D. -E According to Jesus, the church only looked spiritually vibrant on the outside. But it was spiritually lifeless. The church was populated with unregenerated and unconverted people. The church had only a name, Sardis SDA Church. According to verse 2, the last part, their work was imperfect. They only went through the motion. They were spiritless, listless, and lifeless. In God's scale, they were found wanting their vibrant work, locked right motive, and the graces of Almighty God. Thus they were like the Pharisees who look beautiful on the outside but are filled with dead man's bones on the inside. And G.R. Beasley Murray puts it this way, the appearance of Sardis church is that of a beautifully adorned corpse in a funeral parlor. And the Lord is not deceived. End quote. 
Let's understand therefore the gravity of Jesus' pronouncement. The church. The what? The church. The body of Christ. The church which should be a light to the Gentile. The church which was mandated to be a sunbeam to the darkened inhabitants of Sardis who were practicing idol worship. The church, the place for hope for the hopeless, helpless, grief-stricken, lonely, and sin-burdened was inoperative because it died. What will God do? For if the church doesn't shine bright like a diamond, many will grope in the darkness of sin. What will God do? If the church does not heal the broken-hearted, who will bring them hope? If the church does not emancipate the captives, who will? If the church does not tweet the sweet grace of God to sinners, I'm asking you this morning, who will? If the youth, if the youth of the church does not Facebook the precious jewels from the holy book, young people, who will do that? Who will? What will God do? Will God discard them as he did with the house of Israel? For dead members are like, for dead members eclipse the glory of God. Dead members are like car showrooms, always showing off their beauty instead of God's glory. The city of Sardis was built on a mountainous region which made it a natural citadel, citadel, yet the church was not by nature a city of refuge. The city was known for its jewelry, jewelry, but the church was not wearing the medallion of holiness. Sardis was known for its tie-and-dye industry, yet most of its members were not wearing the robe of righteousness. What will God do? For gross darkness covered the church and the people of Sardis. The light is under the bushel and the salt has lost its savior. Souls are dying. What will God do? Like the church of Sardis. Uh, being engaged, being actively engaged in evangelism. Having great ministries, singing on the choirs. Having church offices, regular church attendance, the returning of a faithful tithe and offering, and liberal offering, creating structured programs, visiting the souls and baptizing the souls are no guarantee that you are alive in Christ. It's no guarantee that you and I are spiritually alive. What it may say is that you and I may be nominal Christians. George Eldon Ladd defined the Sardis church as a, a picture of a nominal Christianity. Outwardly prosperous, busy with the externals of religious activity, but devoid of spiritual life and power, end quote. 
Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know I'm preaching about somebody's life story uh, today. I know I'm describing somebody's life. Because you are all up in church, busy in the external activities of the church. You have played integral role in the advancement of the gospel. You have opened your home to the work and workers of God. You have exhausted yourself and your means in the things of God. You are known far and wide for your expertise in the things of God. But listen to me today. This is no guarantee that you have an encounter with Jesus Christ your Lord. It's no encounter that you have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, we all of us have a form. You may deceive everybody else, but you cannot deceive God. A Paul describes such person as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. As Christians, we know how to have forms. We have the linguistic form. We know how to talk like a Christian. Uh, the linguistic form. You know how to talk like a Christian. We have the acting form. We know how to act like Christian, dress like Christians, look like Christians. We even have the personality form. We know how to adapt traces uh, and look like Christian. But hear what Paul says. You are only denying the power thereof. And the sad, sad news is, uh, uh, there are people in church today, you have the varied forms, but you know deep in the recesses of your hearts that you don't have a living encounter with Almighty God. You're faithful to the church, but not to Him. You know how to convince everybody else that you are a Christian, but when you lock the door and the walls and you are alone, then God knows that you don't have an encounter with Him. And hear what God said. Then we are like Sardis. Dead in form and formality. Ellen White reminds us that which we have most to fear is nominal Christianity. We have many who profess the truth who will be overcome because they are not acquainted with the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot distinguish his voice from that of the stranger, end quote. Oh, it is so sad, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that you would have come to church for so many years, for so long, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have been encounter, engaged in Bible study, you have you have brought people maybe into this church but could it be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ young people listen to me today that you know how to come to church you know when the song is being is not song right you know when the preacher uh, subjects and verbs don't agree but could it be that's the only thing you know but God today wants you to have an encounter with Jesus Christ our Lord are too long some of us only come to church but we don't know God 
The signs of the times are telling us that Jesus is coming soon. Now is not the time to be in the river and on the bank. Now is not the time to play church. But now is the time to be real with Almighty God. Now is the time to have an encounter with Him. Because He is coming again. And He is coming soon. God said that that nominal Christians are described in Ephesians chapter 5. Those who walk in fornication, uncleanness, are covetous, filthy, and engage in foolish talk. And those who think they are connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, when they are not. Those are sleeping saints. Ellen White said the greatest threat to the church right now is sleeping preacher preaching to a sleeping church. And so the greatest ism in our churches today is not racism, it's not ethnicism, it's not even fornicationism, so to speak. But the greatest ism in our churches today is somnambulism, that sleepwalking, sleeping preachers preaching to a sleeping church. How did God respond to the death of Sardis? He gave them an autopsy report. The, the autopsy report reveals the following. The harmful substance of reputation but no real religion was found in the church's corpse. The, the harmful drug of reputation but no real religion was found in the church's corpse. Any church and its members will soon die when it rests only on past glory. The church was shining brightly from her past, but died in the present. The church was like a dead star because of the distance the light would have to take before it reaches Earth's atmosphere. The star could die long before you see the light. As a church, as the Adventist church, we have a rich legacy of the past. Our devotion for last year written by George Knight, lest we forget, reveals this truth. But the history of the church is brightly lit. Listen to this carefully. Vance Hoffner says that churches go through four stages. A man, a movement, a machine, and a monument. Sardis was a monument. I wonder today if you are a monument in God's house. Today, I wonder if we are monuments in the house of the living God. There are professed Christians here. We have a reputation. We shine brilliantly from our past. We were known to be great speakers. We were known to be hard workers for the Lord. We were known back home in the country to be uh, a devoted person for, for the cause of God. We were known, but today, 
What are you doing? The most shocking discovery in the autopsy report was that the energizing substance of the Holy Spirit was not present in her corpse. The, the most shocking revelation of this autopsy is that the energizing substance of the Holy Spirit was not found in her corpse. This, this, this is very disturbing for verse 1 said that the, God had the seven spirits in his hand. And this means the complete fullness of the Holy Spirit. God had, has this in his hand, yet the church was devoid of the Holy Spirit. Can I talk to you? This church knew of the Pentecost. This church knew of these things. Yet, this church was devoid of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine, just imagine that perhaps someone who is sitting beside you, if not you, are here today, but you are divine of the Holy Spirit. You talk about the Holy Spirit, you preach about the Holy Spirit, sing about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not live in your hearts. Could it be that this is so this morning? A church, we always have to watch against that we don't organize out the Holy Spirit from our churches. For the story is this, if we should reconstruct the story of Sardis, the story would be this. This was a church which majored in management and minored in Holy Ghost filled ministries. This church promotes structure over worship. This was a church that had shouting and praising God, but most of its members were not transformed. <laughs> this was a church which loves to hear good sounding sermons, but rejects God sent sermons. So the so here you find that this is a church that did not have the Holy Spirit. This is the reason why some of us are not meek and some of us are not kind and some of us don't love each other. And the simple reason is that we don't have the Holy Ghost living in our hearts. How can you live? How can you subsist without God's Holy Spirit? Ellen White said that when we're... We, where we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. When, where we don't pray for Him. Where there, there will be seen drought, spiritual declension and death. The greatest need today in our churches. It's the need of the Holy Ghost power. And this morning I pray that the living God will walk up and down in this church today. I pray that the living God will arrest someone today. Because too long you have been coming to church and the Holy Ghost power is not living in your heart. And I want for you for 2015 to decide that heaven will be your home. 
The great paradox this morning is that God has the seven spirits. God has the Holy Spirit. But yet we are dry and yet we are suffering from spiritual drought and declension. God has the Holy Spirit, my friends. Man, I want you to have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And no wonder we have to intone, we are tempted to intone, having surveyed the landscape of our churches. We have to ask this morning, where is that spirit? Lord, which dwelled in Abram's breast and sealed him thine, which made Paul's heart with sorrow melt and glow with energy divine. Oh, we are praying this morning that we need the Holy Ghost power. We are praying this morning that God send down the rain, rain down the power. We are saying this morning, I'm turning my cups upwards. God, fill my soul, fill my cup, Lord. We, we are crying out, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Like the woman at the well, we are saying, God, too long. We have drunken, we have drawn from those treasures of this world and we have found an emptiness in our heart but we are singing this morning fill me up lord i need to have that encounter with you oh god i need to have that relationship with you oh god and so we lift our hands this morning to almighty god and we are saying rain down the power rain down the holy ghost We must ask this question as we wind to a close. What was the reason for God sending Sardis? There is autopsy report. For, 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 usually after the autopsy comes the burial. I wonder what is in the mind of God. For, after the autopsy comes the burial did god want to have a funeral service and an interment interment in his mind did god have that arrangement in his mind i i, I gracefully with joy report to you this morning that god's autopsy report is not for burial but for resurrection Tweet that someone, Facebook that, that God's autopsy report is not for a burial, but for a resurrection. A Revelation 3, 2 to 3, he said, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of the Lord. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it. And repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Wake up with an exclamation. Ephesians 5 14 says, Wherefore we he saith, 
Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And so it, it deserves a repeat. God's autopsy report is not for burial, but for resurrection. For, for how do I know that? I, I know it in the general sense before we go to the biblical sense. Because the, the Bible informs us that this world was a gigantic cemetery. This world was a gigantic cemetery. Why? Because we were all dead in sin. We were born separated from God. We were in the sin as Lazarus was in his own tomb. But I'm happy to report to you that God did something about that. The Bible tells us that God in ancient world in many moons ago that God came down from heaven. He came down to my level. He what came down to my level when I couldn't come get up to him. Who came down to our level? The one who was born in a borrowed crib had a borrowed father preached from a borrowed boat, rode a borrowed donkey, condemned in a borrowed robe, buried in a borrowed tomb. But early Sunday morning, but early Sunday morning, I said early Sunday morning, the one who had life unborrowed and underived, got up from the grave with power and with might. He said, I am. He said, I am. He said, I am the resurrection and the light. I'm so happy to know that Jesus died on the cross, but it doesn't stop there. Who is he? The one who is the lofty thought in uh, philosophy, the sweetest personality in psychology, the cornerstone in ecclesiology, the core of theology, the supreme man in anthropology, the morning star in astrology, the head of the human race in genealogy, the lion from the tribe of Judah in zoology, the sweetest note, the sweetest note in musicology, the center of bibliology, and we will study his nature in eternology. His name is Jesus. His name is what? Jesus. He is the one who died on the cross and he is the resurrector and the life. And so this morning, if you are here, you are dead in sin and in trespasses. The marriage is dead. The finances are dead. Your body is dead. The kids are dead. There is hope. There is hope because I know a man who specializes in resurrection. His name is Jesus. And so he is at your tomb this morning. He's calling by your name. Come forth. And because he has power resides in him, there is hope for you. Church folk, 
like Sardis. You might be coming to church for all these years and you know if you should go in the filing cabinet of your remembrance and meditation, you will recognize that you are listless and lifeless. Even though you know the church. But this morning God is saying, I want to trim your lamps. I want to resurrect you. And so God's autopsy report is not for you to feel bad, but it's for you to know I am ready to resurrect you. God wants to do that this morning. And so this morning as we close, if you are saying, God, I'm happy to know that you're the resurrection and the life. I'm happy to know that. And if you're saying, God, I'm reconnecting, recommitting my heart to you this morning, stand in the presence of an awesome God.